0: Welcome to Flippin' Awesome Coaching, a podcast designed for athletes who love a challenge and want to see just how far they can really go. I'm your host, Amy Twiggs, and the podcast starts now. Hey there, Flippin' Awesome athletes. Now listen up. This week is kind of fun because I was in the middle of a call with a collegiate coach, and halfway through the call I said, you know what, I really think these questions would be really great For my athletes to listen to, because I know that there's more of you who think the same things and we just were talking and I was giving answers. So this, this, uh, session today that you guys are going to listen to on this podcast is just from halfway through our call. I just pressed record. So if it sounds a little clunky going into it, that's the reason, but enjoy the information and I hope it helps you have a great
1: week. Bye struggle with this concept, really struggle with their own Mm self-esteem. Yeah, and so they kind of, maybe that's potentially why they make bad choices or do things because it's just covering up their own confidence issues.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and record for second cases if you think that I want to remember for other coaches. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things in, in that question that pops up as far as the team and the I. There's no I and team kind of idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's just what you've been, we've all been taught for so many years. And I think, you know, the, the concept could still kind of be there, but it's more of like, well, you don't really have control over a lot of that, but you do have control over showing up to be the best version of you mm-hmm. because you love your team, you know.
2: And you don't have to love your team. That's the other thing is that that's like a manual, and I really teach about manuals too. But here's the thing is when you are at the point where you are good enough to be okay with whatever happens, then you're okay with your teammates being the best version of them and you're happy for the best version of them but you don't have to be their best friend you don't have to love them a lot of things um that i teach is the unconditional love that we can learn how to love everybody despite their mistakes despite whatever they do so um, i know at least for baseball when people make mistakes they go back to the dugout the dugout is the most unsafe place um in the baseball realm right we don't want that but that is kind of because there's a lot of selfishness it's like doggy dog i need to get into your place you're you're in the spot that i need to get to and for my family to be provided for as a job i need that space. for athletics in college everybody's provided for hopefully i mean in a way where they feel the walk-ons even where they feel like they get a privilege to be on this team those who have scholarships get get this money to help them financially but i really think that there's a a sense of you don't have to love each other on a team but you can still feel love inside of yourself so you will show up in a loving way
1: you don't
2: have to be like, I just love everybody. I want to hang out with you all the time. Mm-hmm. And you also don't have a manual, which is just a manual. is just Those expectations we have of teammates or of ourselves, of other people, we have this manual that they should do things in ways that we can feel good. Well, when they don't do things, then we then we go bad, which means that we're not taking responsibility for our own emotions, which we call emotional childhood. So when we're emotionally mature, we let everybody live their lives at the best version that they are capable of living in that. We try to live our life at the best capable spot that we can. And we're constantly trying to evolve into a better version of us. That. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that? Yep. It? Yep. I get that. So, yeah, the manual's huge when you're on a team. Coaches can have a manual for the team. Employ- employers should have manuals for their employees. Parents should have manuals for kids. But then everybody else, like adult between adults, a lot of relationship issues have to do with manuals that we think people should do these things around us. In order for us to feel better, in order us for us to feel um, safe and secure and happy, and we think that the world should show up in a certain place around us, and when it doesn't, then we're disappointed with everybody around us, and we blame them for our for not getting the results that we want. So, yeah. um, so anyways, as far as the the team, I really think there's a lot to do with uh, the athletes learning how to be how to be okay with themselves. Because here's another thing, Casey is I teach a lot about buffering too suffering is just the things we do that do not um, do not re- do, don't help us reach our long-term goals. They there are things that we do when we're feeling a negative emotion to make us feel better. And what it does is it just numbs us down. It's like when we feel um, a lot of stress, people will either turn to overeating, over drinking, or overspending. Those are three of the most typical, right? When athletes feel a lot of stress, they turn to gossiping and criticizing and um, things that are not useful for the team right? So if they learn how to manage the stress, then you're not going to see as much like team backbiting because they know that that stress is caused by themselves. They're creating with their own thoughts. It's not about anybody else around them. So they're kind of buffering things, the things we do to avoid negative emotions that we usually take blame on everybody else and life and everything else. When we can manage our emotions, those things don't, they don't create such problems within teams. Yep. So, and yeah. you don't see as many poor choices from your from your athletes, you don't see as much overdrinking and and like sexual issues because they're just trying to feel loved, you know, and you don't see as much overeating or not eating, like eating issues, because they learn how to eat, they learn how to, what I call as processing an emotion, is like eating an emotion instead of eating food to feel better, yeah, the the buffering just makes them live a numb life, so instead of living a life where they really feel excited about gymnastics, they just are there, it's just gym, right, it's just a process of learning how to really feel intensely about life and really learn how to enjoy life through being okay with the negative emotions. When they don't want to feel the negative, then they're mm-hmm. not feeling the excitement of being a gymnast for these last couple of years that they get this opportunity. Instead, they just try to keep everything super numb so they can manage their emotions.
1: Yep. Cool. So, so I guess that kind of leads into like with the manual part, like how would you like, How does leadership on a college team work? Like, would you be an advocate of team captains? Or do you think, like, it's kind of a general question, but how do you think, like, the leadership should occur if everyone's just kind of being in charge of themselves?
2: So leadership on a team is, I think, very valuable. And people who do have the confidence that isn't going to be, sorry, people who have the confidence who are not going to be affected by failure or affected by, Um, Let me start that again. They're not going to be affected by what anything, anything that happens around them, wins or losses, or coaches yelling or athletes failing. They're not going to be affected by that personally. So a leader is somebody who's willing to feel anything and still show up 100% for themselves, so they can be there for everybody else. Because when they're trying to please everybody else around them, that's not a leader. If you're trying to show up as a person that somebody else is going to like, because you don't want them to not like you, that's people pleasing. And that's mm-hmm. not who that's not who you are. That's just living a lie of who you are. Does that make sense? Yep. Because usually that means that you don't know who you are. Yeah. So team leaders are beautiful if you have leaders who are okay with anything that happens, if they're willing to, to say, Hey, yeah, everybody's failing, let's do it, guys. Let's get let's move back through this into this other side because we know how to manage these emotions. And they can take hold and say, Nobody's done anything wrong. Yeah. Six out of six falls on beam. That's totally okay. Let's see what we're doing. Let's see where the emotions are that are driving those actions. And let's keep moving through this over to the side of, hey, let's get some certainty in here. This is the emotion we need to go to the next again. Those are the kind of team leaders that are going to keep moving through, not the ones that are like, I can't believe we all just fell. You know, how are we going to recover from this? Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter. It's it, it, what happened because of a feeling. That's what happened because we were all nervous. Of course, we're all going to fail if we're feeling like everybody else is better than us here. Right, have those kind of things going on, and the leader goes, "Hey, let's just pull ourselves back together," and we're like, "We don't need to feel that anymore. We need to feel this, and we're ready for this, and we're okay." Because you hear those motivational speeches, and what they do is they're trying to help people around them buy a new belief. And if they believe the new thoughts of the coach or the leader, then they're going to feel differently, and they're going to feel this motivation to take some action that's a little more focused and a little more directed and a little more um, exciting and confident, right? Those Absolutely. are leaders. Leaders who can help sell beliefs that are going to produce better results. That's what a leader is.
1: Cool. All right. And then, you know, um, I'm trying to come up with some ways to bring our team, like, better accountability. Mm-hmm. So some issues that we had this year was, like, some of the athletes would say, they would say, I really want our team to be successful, but I just don't want to deal with any of the conflict that occurs. Mm-hmm. So
2: um, the, team, the teammates would say they don't want to deal with the conflict? yep okay
1: all right so that's that's one example um another one is you know i'm really dedicated but i just don't show it on the outside yeah <laughs> okay uh-huh. um, and then the third example is um i want to keep my teammates accountable but when i'm with them i really just want to fit in
2: okay so let's go to the first question remind me what the first question was
1: yep so it was an athlete saying i really want our team to be successful but i don't want to deal with any conflict
2: okay So when you think that there's conflict, you're going to feel something different and you're going to show up differently. So if an athlete thinks that there's contention and conflict on the team, then that athlete is going to show up in a way that um, is like a little bit tense, a little bit hesitant, a little bit like I don't want to deal with any of you or anything that's going to be conflicting. Instead of this has nothing to do with me. If it's a conflict between somebody, that's just the way they're feeling. But they're making it become a problem for them by thinking that there's something wrong, something that shouldn't be happening. So then they're going to be showing up in a way that there is a conflict. Does that make sense? Yep. When we think we're with somebody else and we're like, I just don't want to fight with you. I just don't want to argue with you. I don't want to be part of that. Then we have these thoughts that this shouldn't be the way this is. And we feel a little bit of a closed feeling, like we want to be closed off to people who do that. So we close ourselves off. So we're doing exactly what we don't want to be a part of. Okay. We're becoming part of the conflict by not by not opening up and just being ourselves. If you think that somebody's having a conflict with themselves, that's about them. It has nothing to do with the athlete. So when the athlete's like, "Oh, they must be struggling," I wonder if I can maybe offer some thoughts to help them. That's great. Or they must be struggling. That's I'm going to give them their space to struggle, and I'm going to show up as the happy, confident, amazing person that I am, and maybe that will lift the people around me instead of hiding and trying to avoid conflict, which just makes everybody feel a little bit more something's not right, something's wrong.
1: Yep. Cool. The second one was, I'm really dedicated, I just don't show it on the outside.
0: <laughs> so for that one, I would totally
2: try to dive in a little bit. Because dedication comes from a feeling, and usually with dedication you're very focused, right? And you're you're going to be doing exactly what you decide you're going to do, and the action's going to prove it from the dedication. So if they say I'm really dedicated but I just don't show it, then it's kind of like the idea of I'm trying. And the idea of I'm trying to do something that everybody – it's the people pleasing too in that one. But if they – I don't know exactly. I would love to have a specific situation for this person. But yeah. if, if they said I'm dedicated but I just don't show it, maybe they don't show it in the way that other people want. I had a dad recently say, my daughter's not focused. And when I was an athlete, you know, I wasn't sitting there laughing with my teammates on the team before I was out to go play. And yet this girl, she's laughing and playing, and then she's on the beam, and she's super focused. And her way of being focused off the event is joking around and messing around. That's her way of yeah. relaxing and staying calm. So this person's dedication could show, maybe she's trying to say, no, I really am dedicated. But the action, the action that she's showing, the result is usually what you want to look at too. But the action she's showing for you is saying, hey, I want you to understand, coach. I'm dedicated. I just don't show it in the way other people do. So that could be one part of it, is that she? this is the way that she shows dedication or... It could be, I want to be dedicated. I want to make sure that the coach thinks I'm dedicated, so I'm going to tell her I am. And so she's people-pleasing. She's trying to make sure you know that she wants you to believe that she's dedicated, but the action is going to show, and the results are going to show what that means, right? The third way for my brain to think about it is if she's thinking, I'm going to try to be dedicated, trying anything to me is lazy. We're either going to do it or we're not going to do it. So when people say, I'm going to try, it, say, no, tell me you're going to do it or not. I'm okay with either one. It's decision-making. You're you're either going to go all in on yourself, and you're going to do the action from a dedicated feeling, and the dedicated feeling comes from the thought that I am all in on this every single time. I'm going to give everything to this every time, right? Either you're doing that, or we have the hesitant, balking, dangerous situation where they're trying to do flipping in the middle of the air when they're still debating, I'm dedicated, but I just don't show it, right? I don't know which version of this it is unless I had it on the phone to get exact specific what is it that I don't show it means, right? Yeah. But there is, for gymnastics especially, the safety issue of trying, of not really showing what you think that they're doing. There's there's definitely that. And I always try to say, hey, in gymnastics, you're either doing it. And if you're not, okay, we're going to get you mentally ready to do it. But don't pretend that you're trying to do it for a coach just to please the coach. That is not safe. That's not the way you yeah. want to show up for anybody.
1: Would you, are you someone who, do you like the phrase, fake it till you make it? Mm. Or do you, are you not a fan of that kind of mentality?
0: So I
2: like the idea of growing into belief. Fake it till you make it is kind of the same idea, like standing like a power pose, right? And um, getting the energy because you have an idea that if I, if I stand up tall, I'm going to get this. It's actually, it's not standing up tall, that's giving the energy. It's the idea that I can get energy if I do something. So you have a thought before you actually do it. But fake it till you make it, for me, it depends how you look at it. For, so it's like an athlete saying, I can't do it, and a coach saying, yes, you can. And they're like, okay, I'm going to try to believe I can. And then they're crashing and burning, burning right? Mm-hmm. So they're kind of fake that they believe it, but they're not showing that they are really believing it, right? So growing yep. into the belief, what I like to say is growing into the belief is just a matter of getting these latter thoughts, these individual thoughts going, yeah, this is my ultimate goal. I am going to live in this space of this. I do love the visualization idea of, hey, see what that person looks like, see what that person thinks, see what that person feels like who does have that goal, right? Mm-hmm. It is, so it is, mm, fake. it's like the affirmations to me that don't work unless you have some underlying belief that they are going to work. If you're yeah. just trying to say words, if you're just trying to show a part that you have no, it's like the actor or actress that you can tell, the ones that actually make you cry, and the ones that you are watching who are just like, yeah, that was kind of a lame experience. They had no feeling behind it that's the growing into a belief is that you really do want to become the person that you're trying to become yeah yeah so if if you have somebody coming in um who's saying i want to be the beam national champion right i want to be the person who knows that every time i'm on beam i'm getting a nine 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 eight at the right mm-hmm. and that's their belief And right now they're giving consistent nine seven all we need them to do is we we get this belief they stand like the person who they are going to be when they're getting 9-9 nine, nine consistent. They think like that person, they act like that person, and they feel like that person. So everything they're doing, they're becoming the part of that person along the way. And as they do it, they break down the little pieces that they think are required to become that person. So yeah, that's, that is becoming and uh, growing into a belief. But faking it, in my mind, is trying to trick your brain. I don't think we can ever trick our brains. Our brains are too smart.
0: <laughs>
1: yep cool um, the third line that was just I want to keep my teammates accountable but when I'm with them I really just want to fit in
2: mm. okay so that's the people pleasing, but that's also the oxytocin there's a neurotransmitter that, that we as we've evolved as, as a human species back in like the caveman days there's people if you, if you did not um, get along with a group if you were excluded from a group you could literally die, right? Being on your own out in the wilderness was a very dangerous situation. Being with a group was a lot safer. So we have that evolutionary biology inside of our brain. We have that desire and what happens is this thought that I just want to fit in, releases a neurochemical called oxytocin. So that neurochemical is a, it's the feeling of wanting to be together with a group, having a common um, goal kind of thing, even if the common goal is leading to very negative results. You just want to fit in with the group, okay? So you were saying that even if it's, um, you want to be accountable, but you really want to fit in, your brain, when it's, it's, when it's debating, it's going to go for the one that you're finding more evidence that feels good to fit in with this group. You're going to go fit in with the group and not have the positive results that you want. If it's, you want to be accountable, then you're going to have to find um, evidence as to why that's a better idea. And your brain will naturally go to just go with the group. It's a lot easier because our brain wants us to take the easy out. A lot easier just to do whatever everybody else is doing than to break off and have the, um, the possibility of a bear attacking you without anybody helping you. A, a mental bear, right? Like this is hard, I have no support, everybody else is doing their own thing and how am I supposed to do this on my own? That idea is hard and scary. Being accountable to yourself is one of the best skills that you can learn. It's being responsible for your choices, taking ownership of your choices, not being able to blame anybody else for what you're choosing, and then deciding that you're always going to make choices from that place instead of the group's place. It's always going to, this is like the team idea, that when the whole team's failing, we're all failing together. No, if you have one that says, you know what, guys, we actually don't have to fail, and one person says we could actually change this right now if we want to, that one person is going to lift the whole team if the team has any respect for the person, if the team looks at this person as, whoa, she's getting some results that we're not getting, right? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. So My next question is like, what do you believe is best for accountability? Like buddy systems or regular meetings or more one-on-one communication? Like mm-hmm. what really does it? Yeah. I
2: love accountability. I, I definitely, for myself, I still have an accountability partner for like writing books that I've had since last year. We meet every single Monday at 5.15 in the morning. When I'm on my bike, I'm talking to him. Right. And, okay. and I think there's something to be said, for showing up for yourself and it has nothing to do with the partner. That's the beautiful thing about accountability. It's like piano lessons. You show up for the piano lesson, and the only thing that you're pretty much doing is saying, "Yes, I did my stuff last week." I'm showing up for myself at this lesson. So having an accountability partner really keeps you on track for yourself, and it has nothing to do with the person that's willing to meet with you. But I really think accountability is a having a partner is really great for so you. Be saying, "Hey, I'm doing this this week," and then when you get to the next week and you meet with the accountability partner, it's not. The accountability partner isn't going to say, "Oh, maybe they will." Like, you didn't show up for yourself. What's your problem? It's going to be, "Oh, you know, you didn't reach your goals. What are you going to do about it?" It's all on you. There's nothing about the accountability partner that is um, that is about the other person, which is why I think it's a beautiful plan. Always is to have somebody that you're going to show up to to be able to report to your own brain, saying, "Okay, did I do what I said I was going to do this last week?" Which is what confidence is. Did I show up for myself this week in the way that I said I was going to? If I didn't, why not? What was it? What were my thoughts that led to actions of not doing what I said I was gonna do? So I think accountability is one of those things where if you have somebody who's going to let you kind of bounce your own brain off of yourself every single week, then that's just gonna help you become more on top of what your brain is doing. Do. Cool.
1: Yeah, I love that. And then the last one is, I'm just kind of trying to get a little phrase that like, gets us motivated for that kind of accountability like I've had people say in the past like see it say it do it or speak think act or say believe behave do you have any fun statements that I can like just I'm just looking for ideas
2: I don't know if you'll love this one but it was just one because I I'm still producing course content things like that and um, one of our uh, leaders just said fail forward fail fast fail often He said, if you want success, you have to be willing to fail forward, fail fast, fail often. I'm like, that's interesting. Because people don't like the word failure. They're like, wait, that has a negative connotation. But when you really understand what failure is about, you're like, yes, I'm okay with being embarrassed and rejected and um, discouraged and disappointed. If I'm okay with that, then I'm okay with feeling joy and excitement and thrill and, and, you know, and energy and motivation. So that's one of those phrases. And I don't know if you want to use that. It's one that if they really understand that failure isn't about them, then not only are you reminding them that failure is just a missing action. It's a missing required piece that you haven't figured out yet. To be able to reach the goal that you have. It has nothing to do with your work. It has nothing to do with you as a person, as a human being. Because as a human, you are not a failure. You can never be a failure. But as a goal that you have, you better be failing all the time. Otherwise, you're not going to reach that goal. Yes. Yeah. Go hopefully that helped a little bit. Thank you for the question.
1: Yes, that's it. So thank you very much.
2: Hey, we'll chat again.
1: Yep. Bye.
0: Bye. Hey, thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed listening or have questions about something you heard on this podcast, go to Flippin' Awesome Coaching to get your questions answered. Thanks for sharing this episode with your friends. Have a Flippin' Awesome Week. Bye.